Prepare to be astonished. It's that time again. Let's get started. From the Clatsop County Historical Society, an adventure in history with Matt Burns and Alana Quila. You should never be allowed to talk to people. Some people without brains do an awful lot of talking. And now, with today's adventure, it's Mac and Alana. Good evening and welcome back to An Adventure in History. Three years ago today, I was having my own adventure with the birth of Kaya. Oh my goodness, three years old. Three years old. She's a three-nager. A three-nager. We skipped the terrible two. She was delightful, but she is fully owning being three. And what does that mean? It means she's a little crazy and a lot of fun and um, completely in charge of our household. Well, she's the youngest, of course. Yes. That goes without saying. Yes. And she screams the loudest. And I say that yeah. as the youngest of three children myself. <laughs> you knew. Yeah. <laughs> but she's delightful. We're so happy. I mean, she was just definitely a, a great addition to our family. And she made her radio debut just... Two weeks later, three weeks later. It was it was pretty fast because we just brought her into the studio with us, and we had her. You you put her to sleep by talking, <laughs> which was great. Yep. So you know, about half an hour later, she'd wake up and she'd be ready to go. That's right. It was good. And then grandparents were ready to be babysitters. Yes, Grammy and Papo stepped in and loved those little snuggles. So it was it was fun. But yeah, she she did come for a couple months though. Yeah. Yeah. And we've had Carly on the air. Carly's been on. We've so had your husband on the air. It, we have your whole family on the we air. We are working our way through the list. Yeah. <laughs> Who's left? <laughs> well, there's still my, my parents and, and brother. And yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we can aunts and uncles. So wait, where's your brother? He's at home. Oh, of course. Yeah, yes. Yeah, you brought him to Rotary. Yep. Yeah. Okay. I don't know why I was thinking of like Mark's brother I've never met, even yep. though like he goes out to sea, doesn't he still? He does. Yeah. He's one of He has two brothers and one's fisherman. Yeah. Oh, what's the other one do? Uh, he's at a house here yeah. in, in Astoria. Okay. Yeah. All right. So we we had a guest last week, so we didn't get into it, but you mentioned that uh, Providence had the wonderful Festival O-Trees. Oh, it was fabulous. Providence Seaside Hospital Foundation raised almost $300,000 for increasing and um, enhancing cardiac care right here on the the North Coast, specifically with a new facility that's coming to Warrenton. So that's pretty exciting. It's good for the heart. It is very good for the heart. And being this was our first in-person event in three years. Oh my so goodness. it was delightful. Again, so three years ago, I was at <laughs> Festival of Trees, and I delivered a baby two and a half days later. Well, and you also it should it should go not go without mentioning it should be mentioned. You were in labor on the radio show. I was. You left recording the show, and it was like two hours later you were at the hospital. Yep, I was. I felt awful. <laughs> I felt sick all day, and yes, and I ended up in the hospital that night. She came really fast because and, apparently I just was in labor all day. <laughs> and, and you usually feel that way anyway on the air <laughs> with me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you didn't know extra you agitation tell. that day. <laughs> but it was great. Yeah. So, so it was a it was a wonderful event. Really, I mean, after being apart for three years, you know, some of these people we truly have not seen them in three years. It's a great kickoff to the holiday season. All just direct surrounded by these Christmas trees and all this holiday spirit. It was just a really nice event and really nice to see people. And I think people, you know, there's some people that obviously aren't ready to be in group settings yet, and and no fault. There's right? nothing bad mm-hmm. about that. But I think the people that are coming to events, they're so ready to do events again. They are. And we had a really good mix of people who wore masks, quite a few people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are also people that are donating and they don't come to the event. Also no. something that's great, right? Always I mean, nice. You don't have to feed them. Yes, that's true, right? <laughs> it's cheaper. The return on the investment is higher. But I want to know, were there doctors there to give shots? Nope. Nope. Not this time. Lots oh. of advice. I mean, you can always get... <laughs> 
get that. But it was a great event and, and really nice. Good. We'll do it again next year. I would say there were probably fewer people this year, but we still raised a lot of money. So really, it was just nice. It was a good event, a good number of folks. It felt really good. So did I just hear you correctly, though, that I can get free medical advice if I come? <laughs> sure, from me. Oh, from you. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, so anything else we had to plug? There's something else, but we we're yes, going to talk about it a little not. bit. Deep tease. Yep. Okay. That really a deep teaser is like a, a small tease because it's going to be in like five minutes. Uh, either one. Okay. Works. So these are things, uh, as always, uh, December 12th. Yep. So tomorrow. Ready? 1787. Pennsylvania ratifies the Constitution, becoming the second state to do so. Welcome to the club, Pennsylvania. <laughs> You're stealing my lines. <laughs> Uh, but you know who was first? I do. Delaware. Yes. It says it right on the license plates. They <laughs> I be, they find beat that them. funny. Just I, in case you guys forgot. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> it's like uh, See, I think it's how many like, years later? We're so tiny that we got to have right. something to claim to fame. So we'll put it on our license plates. It's probably why they organized faster. That's right. So I like Pennsylvania, though. I have to admit, I like Pennsylvania, and they came in second. 1822, Mexico is officially recognized as an independent nation by the United States. Hmm. Prior to that, you know, they didn't exist until the United right. States recognizes them, of course. Sigh, big sigh. <laughs> and you wonder if they were like, yay, we've finally been recognized. They I finally know. noticed us, I, even I, though we're right here next to her. I to don't her. think so. So, Since Mexico was not that size either, yes, right? That's true. <laughs> yes. So 1870, I like this one. Joseph Rainey from South Carolina becomes the first African-American to serve in the U.S. House of Representatives. That's great. 1870. Yep. I should have said Congressman Joseph Rainey. Right. That's true. You've earned the title. 1899, George F. Bryant of Boston patents the wooden golf tee. Hmm. It's a good idea. It is a good idea. I hope he made a boatload of money with this. Yes. Because I like stupid, simple things that like nobody else thought of. But I am curious. What do you think? they Were they using anything before that? Well, and I just think like... How do you even think of that? Because it's like a toothpick. Oh, let's put something tiny in the ground and lift the ball up just a couple inches. Put a little cup to like hold the ball It just seems so inane, but it's valuable. I wonder if Bryant was like a groundskeeper and had to keep fixing right. the divots from people. And he said if it was above the grass, they wouldn't be yep. chopping into the grass. I bet that's what it was. 1917, Reverend Edward Flanagan forms Boys Town outside oh. Omaha, Nebraska. Nice. Have you ever seen the movie? I have not. Nope. There's a movie. My parents there. lived in Omaha, so I, I they visited Boys Town. I know that. that Did they know happened. Reverend Flanagan? Ooh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Nineteen seventeen. Oh right. No. <laughs> Sorry, mom and dad. <laughs> Although I'm sure he lived longer than that. Okay, but here's my thing. As one who works in the nonprofit sector, as do you, I am mm-hmm. always amazed. Boys Town sends me. I've never given a dime to them. They send me stuff every year. <laughs> Tons of stuff, not just like, hey, here's a request and send us some some money. They'll send me like mailing labels. They send me oh my, uh, my daily planner. They send me Christmas cards that I can use, <laughs> um, stickers for Christmas packages. Wow. I mean, it's like a really good haul of stuff. They have you pegged for someone else. And th- th- maybe that's it, except they get my name right because <laughs> I use the stickers. <laughs> I use the return address. Renee, are you making yeah. donations? Maybe in my name or something. Yeah. But I don't understand that. That is, yeah, that's an interesting I'm, I'm okay tactic, try, right? Tr- trying it once, but then when I don't respond, and it's been like four years in a row, they send me a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> Costs money. So if you're listening, Boys Town, I, I'm not going to give you. I'm not going to give you any money as a whole. Yeah, but I appreciate the gifts you've <laughs> Take been sending me. Take me off the list. <laughs> <laughs> All right, 1925, Arthur Heinemann coins the term motel mm. when he opens the Motel Inn down in uh, I can't pronounce this, San Luis. 
Obispo. Obispo. That's fun to say yep. when you know how to say it. <laughs> Have you ever stayed at the Motel Inn? I don't think so. In San Luis Obispo. <laughs> what a boring name, too, but it was the first time used, so that's interesting. Yeah. You, it, they probably it, called it like Hotel or Inn before that. Right. Because it's Motor Hotel. Right. Motel. Hotel. Got it. And how did they rap before that? <laughs> hotel, motel, holiday in. <laughs> I'm not going to sing that though. Uh, 1936, Chinese leader Chiang Kai-shek declares war on Japan. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I have to get on soapbox here. Okay. Because we are so Eurocentrist. If I ask people that have a passing knowledge when World War II started, some will say 1941 when Pearl Harbor was attacked. A lot of people, most people will say 1939 when Poland was attacked by Germany. Mm-hmm. Japan but, invaded China in like 1933. Yeah. Why don't we say that is the start of World War II? And then what I don't understand is how come Chiang Kai-shek waits until 36? You've just been invaded. Well, he was busy. So that's we could true. say that. I mean, maybe he <laughs> <That's true. laughs> didn't get to the paperwork till later. I don't have time to sit down and do yeah. paperwork. Yeah. I'm busy getting shot at. <laughs> All right. That could be it. Yep. 1946, Tide Laundry Detergent is introduced. Thank you, Tide. So I think we've discussed this before. Yeah. Do you have any brand loyalty for things like like your laundry detergent? I use Tide. <laughs> oh, why, see, I wasn't I mean, asking for the actual kind. Why change? See, that's I I'm mean, I'm brand loyal on something. Kind of one of those things. And it this works. Would, this would be one of them. My laundry detergent. Yep. Unscented though. Unscented. Yep. Okay. Not with Febreze. No. Nope. Added. No. Nope. Okay. Uh, 1961. Nazi German army officer Adolf Eichmann is found guilty of war crimes in Israel. Hmm. Good. Yeah, he's a nasty, horrible person. Yes. 1963, Kenya declares independence from Britain. Nice. Yeah. I, you know, I've never visited Africa, but I think I would like Kenya. Yes. It does seem like a beautiful place. I've heard good things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 1967, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner opens in theaters. Not an Oregon film, but still a really great classic movie. Yes. So I had this on my list as well. Oh. And one thing that I thought was so interesting about this really like landmark movie is it came... Five months after the 1967 civil rights case, Loving versus Virginia. Oh my gosh. So it just made me think, at what point did they start making this movie, right? I mean, because it wasn't five months prior. Was It would have been a year or two years. And then did they delay the opening? They were in cahoots. Until the, the that decision came out. Because even that couple, right? They had been together for years and years. Oh, yeah. The loving couple. Yeah. Uh, a husband and, and a wife. that was the actual wife. name, not like, oh, they're a loving couple. I know, but what a perfect name, <laughs> it is. isn't it? I mean, it was it was definitely meant to be a landmark case that, that did allow uh, black and white people to legally marry, um, which is just... Remarkable. It it's wasn't a remarkable. It well, <laughs> and yet we still have this discussion yeah, about who can and can't marry, but... Um, again, guess who's coming to dinner? Definitely, you know, worth watching the movie. There's been several versions now of it, um, but just five months after that landmark case. I love that connection. Yeah. But our uh, history highlight of the day, I think, I think had the most impact on history. 1901, the first radio transmission sent across the Atlantic Ocean. Ooh, I like that. Nobody thought it could be done, and Marconi proved it. Yeah. That we can communicate across the Atlantic with just radio transmission. The power of radio. Oh, it's so powerful. <laughs> the powerful of the voice, right? And that time that you don't have to spend shipping a message anymore. Oh, that's right. Making the world smaller. 
It's good. Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes that's a bad thing. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's very true. So I didn't have the highlight, but I did have an oh. interesting one. So two years after it was stolen from the Louvre Museum <sighs> in Paris, Leonardo da Vinci's masterpiece, the Mona Lisa, is recovered inside Italian waiter Vincenzo Perugia's hotel room in Florence. <laughs> he had previously worked at the Louvre and had participated in the heist with a group of accomplices dressed as janitors the morning of <laughs> August 21st, 1911. So uh, I just think that this one's just kind of so funny because it was a waiter. A waiter. And he worked there. And then he's still just staying in a hotel room. <laughs> with the Mona Lisa. With the Mona Lisa. <laughs> Is it hanging on the wall? <laughs> it, yeah, right? And he's still working in restaurants. So it's like you also didn't make any money. <laughs> Did they think this through? I, I, right. Aren't these the conversations that happen before like, hey, before we could potentially go to prison for the rest of our life, how are we going to sell this? How are we going to make money? <laughs> <laughs> so Alana's going to be like a much better crime I would be a much better, than... better criminal for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but I do like picturing it like hanging on the, the wall of the hotel room. <laughs> I do too. And like people coming in not noticing. Right. You know, it's just a knockoff. Dusting it. But it is missing, folks. <laughs> yeah. That's very funny. But you know what? I hope people aren't going to miss. Yes. Tea and Plum Pudding is at the Flavelle House, December 17th, 18th, 26th through 30th. It's from 1 to 4 p.m., $10 for members, $12 for non-members. One plug, though, mm-hmm. to become a member, how much does that cost? 35 bucks. 35 bucks. So you just pay the $35, the additional 10 then because then you get the discount, You get that membership for a year. Merry Christmas. (laughs) So plum pudding, though. But now, the plates being changed by Miss Belinda, Mrs. Cratchit left the room alone, too nervous to bear witnesses, to take the pudding up and bring it in. Suppose it should not be done enough. Suppose it should break in turning out. Suppose somebody should have got over the wall of the backyard and stolen it while they were merry with goose, a supposition at which the two young Cratchits became livid. All sorts of horrors were supposed. Hello. A great deal of steam. The pudding was out of the copper. A smell like a washing day. That was the cloth. A smell like an eating house and a pastry cook's next to each other, with laundresses next door to that. That was the pudding. In half a minute, Mrs. Cratchit entered flushed, but smiling proudly with the pudding like a speckled cannonball, so hard and firm, blazing in half of half a cordon of ignited brandy and bedight with Christmas holly stuck on the top. Oh, a wonderful pudding, Bob Cratchit said, and calmly, too, that he regarded it as the greatest success achieved by Mrs. Cratchit since their marriage. Mrs. Cratchit said that, now the weight was off her mind, she would confess she had her doubts about the quantity of flour. Everybody had something to say about it, but nobody said or thought it was at all a small pudding for a large family. It would have been flat heresy to do so. Any Cratchit would have blushed to hint at such a thing. That, of course, is from Chapter 3 of A Christmas Carol. I love that. Have you Isn't seen a Christmas? Have you seen the play or the? Mo- I mean, you've oh, yeah. probably seen the movie. Yeah. Have you- I was in the play. Oh wow! As a young girl, I was Scrooge's sister. Oh, fan. Is that a big big role? I can't remember. It was a very small role. (laughs) Very, very small. But in America, Christmas pudding, also known as plum pudding or figgy pudding, is a dish as famous as it is misunderstood. It's the flaming center of the climatic meal of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol and pops up in carols themselves. We wish you a Merry Christmas. 
We get you I did it. <laughs> Has two whole verses about demanding figgy pudding. But for the uninitiated, Christmas puddings are eyed with skepticism, befitting a dish that can be accurately described as a cross between a fruitcake and a haggis set on fire. No, we don't set ours on fire at the Flavelle House. I mean, that's a good idea. <laughs> yes. Christmas pudding has its roots in medieval English sausages when fat, spices, and fruits, the best preservatives of their day, were mixed with meats, grains, and vegetables and packed into, here we go, animal stomachs Ew. and intestines so they would keep as long as possible. Frequently called mince pie, they contained chopped chicken, pheasant, rabbit, and partridge. Later, sugar, apples, raisins, and candied oranges and lemons were added to the mixture. The first records of plum puddings date to the early 15th century when plum pottage, a savory concoction heavy on the meat and root vegetables, was served at the start of a meal. Then, as now the plum in plum pudding was a generic term for any dried fruit, most commonly raisins and currants with prunes and other dried, preserved, or candied fruit added when available. By the end of the 16th century, dried fruit was more plentiful in England, and plum pudding made the shift from savory to sweet. The development of the pudding cloth, a flowered piece of fabric that could hold and preserve a pudding of any products, but not entirely suet, the fat found in ground beef and mutton kidneys has always been a key ingredient. Ew. In 1595, dried fruit, eggs, and breadcrumbs were added to the recipe. By the mid-1600s, plum pudding was sufficiently associated with Christmas that when Oliver Cromwell came to power in 1647, he had it banned. Wow. Along with Yule logs, carol singing, and nativity scenes. Scrooge. Bahumbug. Yeah. <laughs> wow, what's the deal? Uh, to Cromwell and his Puritan associates, such merrymaking smacked of Druidic paganism and Roman Catholic idol tree. Mm, wow. <laughs> Can you imagine such a thing? No. In 1660, the Puritans were deposed, and Christmas pudding, along with the English monarchy, was restored. Oh, thank goodness. Thank goodness. Fifty years later, England's first German-born ruler, George I, was styled the Pudding King, mm. after rumors surfaced of his request to serve plum pudding at his first English Christmas banquet. As with many English-derived Christmas traditions, the standard form for Christmas pudding solidified during the Victorian era when uh, English journalists, political leaders, and novelists, not least Dickens himself, worked to create a standardized, family-friendly English Christmas. Among England's poor, Christmas-saving clubs sprung up to help housewives lay away pennies throughout the year to purchase pudding ingredients come Christmas time. Families throughout England began to celebrate the last Sunday before Advent, in which the Book of Common Prayers includes a prayer that begins, Stir up, we beseech thee, O Lord, the wills of thy faithful people, as Stir Up Sunday. Stir Up Sunday. In which family members take turns stirring up the Christmas pudding to be, which was then wrapped and boiled and set aside to mature until Christmas Day. By the 19th century, the ingredients were more or less standardized to suet, brown sugar, raisins and currants, candied orange peel, eggs, breadcrumbs, nutmeg, cloves, allspice, and plenty of alcohol. <laughs> For some of those things, I'd need a lot of alcohol. <laughs> On the side. <laughs> <laughs> For Victorian citizens of the British Empire, the Christmas pudding was a summation of their conception of the world, a globe-like mass studded with savory bits from distant colonies, Ugh. bound together by a steamed and settled matrix of Englishness. This makes it sound so refined when really 
It's just a mix. It's like a hodgepodge of such yes. weird ingredients. <laughs> the Christmas pudding's well-preserved nature. It took a month to get seasoned oh. and could last over a year. <laughs> Meant it could be enjoyed as a taste of home by far-flung soldiers and colonizers. Maybe that's the why, why they went to far-flung places, to get away. Oh, right. <laughs> in, in 1885, a British newspaper resor- reported the joyful consumption of a plum pudding sent overland via special envoy from Tehran by a group of British soldiers stationed in northwestern Afghanistan. Wow, 1885. (laughs) Over the past century, the Christmas pudding has slimmed down and simplified somewhat according to modern tastes. The pudding bag, in which the pudding is twice boiled, is often replaced with molds shaped like a half melon or bunt cake. Making a flaming plum pudding, as the Cratchit family enjoyed in Charles Dickens' tale, was another lovely tradition. After the plum pudding was turned out, warm alcohol, usually brandy, would be poured over the entire cake and set aflame. With the lights out and only the glow of the fireplace and the flaming plum pudding as it was brought in for the family to enjoy, must have been a very fitting and exciting ending to the holiday meal. Instructions for lighting the brandy sauce prior to serving include numerous fire safety caveats. The pudding's pagan roots are now celebrated rather than swept under the Christmas tree skirt. A recent history cheerfully notes that the game of snapdragons, in which children compete to pluck raisins from the flaming brandy, likely has origins with the Celtic Celtic druids. Now that just doesn't sound safe in the the least. (laughs) No, there's... Uh, Across the Atlantic, where fruitcake's own fortunes have waned in recent decades, Christmas pudding remains a curiosity known primarily for films, books, and song lyrics, and is associated with Christmas crackers, paper crowns, Bob Cratchit, and Boxing Day. So traditionally, everyone in the household, or at least every child, gave the mixture a stir and made a wish while doing so. Mm. It was common practice to include small silver coins in the pudding mixture, which could be kept by the person whose serving included them. That's kind of fun, as long yeah. as you don't swallow it. Right. The usual choice was a silver threepence or a sixpence. The coin was believed to bring wealth in the coming year. Other tokens are also known to have been included, such as a tiny wishbone, Diana's blessing of good luck and prosperous hunting, a silver thimble, fairy blessings for thrift, or an anchor, uh, Nereids, I don't know who that is, blessings for a safe harbor. Once turned out of its basin, decorated with holly, doused in brandy, and flamed or fired, the pudding is traditionally brought to the table ceremoniously and greeted with a round of applause. Christmas puddings have very good keeping properties, and many families keep one back from Christmas to be eaten at another (laughs) celebration later in the year, often at Easter. It was not uncommon to go so far as to make each year's pudding the previous Christmas. So I have to... (laughs) clarify you don't do that we do not do that ours are freshly made uh probably days before it's served and kept in the fridge it is kind of like a cake and we make it in actually ray goforth who did this for years and years for us Uh, we have some of her uh bunt they're kind of like bunt cake tins with a little lid on it so it's like sealed up i guess that's how it gets a little steamy and uh, we serve it with a kind of a lemony sauce on top of it. And then our own Sam Rasco, uh, I can't yeah. remember if he did it the year before COVID or two years before COVID. He added, uh, I said last week, whiskey, but it's brandy. It's brandy. It okay. Is brandy. That it's makes like sense. a brandy. A little uh, sweeter. It, it's not a sauce. It's It's got a thickness to it. Okay. That he'll, you put a little scoop and so he doesn't light his aflame because when you light it, then the alcohol goes away. Yeah. So with yours. Yes. So we offer it to the adults. <laughs> yep. A little bang for your buck there. But it's, it's creamy. It's just yeah. like a, like the, the inside of, of, 
a jelly donut or something. And is it served warm? It's all served warm. Okay. Yeah. And with tea. And with tea. The Flavel House brand tea. You can get it nowhere but from us. <gasps> tea and plum pudding. Tea and plum pudding. Are there people that do this as a tradition? Like moms oh, and daughters or families, Ton- friends? Tons of people. So we're kind yeah. of curious because we've taken two years off and we've yeah. had a ton of phone calls about, are you going to do it? You're going to do it? Right. You're going to do it? And all of the so, above. It, yeah. Like even kids? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The kids now, probably look at the dish and they're like, no way. <laughs> now, we always have to clarify it is $10 if you're a member, 12 yep. if you're a not member, Any regardless age. of age. Because right. it's a fundraiser. That's why we first started doing that. Yeah. It was and you're a taking a seat and taking a piece of the pie. Exactly. How fun. I so get we, get we dressed have... up. Come take pictures outside the Flavel House, right? That's right. So again, it's uh, we're doing it uh, December 17th and 18th and then the 26th through the 30th. I love it. At 1 o'clock. 1 o'clock to 4 o'clock at the Flavel House. And, uh, and so you, you can just come uh, in and buy your ticket. Okay. And so you can come with a group of four, come with a group of two, and then you just. Yep. If, if you have a large group, like if you're the, yes. the Rotary Club or you're sure. the Red Hat Ladies, we'll do it some other day if you'd like. Ooh. You just have to make a reservation if you have 12 people. Got it. We will we will plan a special one just for you. So give us a call, 325-2203, or go to our website and email us if you've got a group and want to do this as an outing. I love it. And I truly think, too, like. People should come and get get their membership for their year. <laughs> Stick it in somebody's stocking, right? Because they can come. They can come on those days, two days before Christmas. Absolutely. Get a membership. I've done that. Gift gift gifted mm-hmm. memberships mm-hmm. for other family members. Free admission to all of our museums. Right. You get discounts. You get a subscription to our Comtex magazine. Which so. people that don't live here like like the subscription. Oh my right? gosh! Half of them just look at it as right. a subscription to the magazine. Exactly. It's so. a great deal. So thirty dollars for that. Yeah. So, so we got a little bit of time. Shall we do some uh, Ooh, this yes. week in local history? Let's do it. So uh, let's see. Um, I like this one. Uh, December 12th, 1935. The first WPA paychecks went out through the local offices Wednesday, according to E.G. Gerhardt, local engineer in charge of WPA projects. Gerhardt distributed 285 checks in the field yesterday, aggregating $4,962.57 for the semi-monthly payroll. The next payday will come the day before Christmas, and county WPA workers are expected to get a total of about $5,800 on that day. I just love FDR. Yes. Wow. Um, I, I like this one going back a little bit. December 11th, uh, 1942, ferry service from Astoria to Megler will be will shortly be cut to five days, according to Captain Fritz Elfine of the Astoria North Peach Ferry Company. At present, the company's tourist number three makes the trip eight times a day. Elfine said that it was necessary to cut down the number of trips made because fuel for the boat was being rationed and traffic was insufficient to justify as many trips. Mm. I mean, just look at that river. I just, I love that piece of history that it wasn't that long ago. People were just taking a ferry. December 13th, 1928, the combination of an eight-foot tide and a storm at sea off the Oregon coast resulted in a spectacular surf yesterday at Seaside during the noon hour, according to Seaside men who were here today. The surf battered the seawall and in some places even hurled pieces of bark over the railing to the sidewalk along the prom, and in one instance broke a window in a building on the prom just south of the uh, Oats Natatorium. Ooh. Ooh. I think you should read the next one. December 13th, 1928. Okay, the combination of an eight-foot tide. No, no, that's oh. the, one, the, the next one down. Okay, which one? December 13th, 1928. Next one down from the one I just read. I was Dr. Not. Richard Dillahunt. Of okay, Portland. of Portland, Dean of the University of Oregon Medical School and Chief Surgeon at the Shrine Hospital Portland. 
uh, was the principal speaker at the staff meeting of the Clatsop County Medical Association held at 8 o'clock last evening in the Columbia Hospital. 17 Astoria doctors were present at the meeting and four out-of-town doctors, including Dr. Harold Fritz of Cathlamic, Dr. V.S. Geary of Westport, Dr. J. Ball of Clatskanai, and Dr. Dialhut of Portland. Following the meeting at the hospital, the group adjourned to the home of Dr. Mrs. R.J. Pilkington on Franklin Avenue, where a buffet supper and a smoker was enjoyed. <laughs> well, these doctors are getting together to smoke cigars yes. or cigarettes afterwards. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that just always makes me laugh. <laughs> you four, out, four out of five dentists recommend this cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> and you caught me not a, not exactly following you where, when yes. you were reading ahead. Well, and I realized those were both on the same day. They were. So There's a what, whole bunch that are that's, on. That's what threw you off. It is. Yeah. <laughs> it's that's kind of a day, though. That's okay. You know what? Uh, go have some tea and plum pudding, folks, and also be grateful that it's not made of mutton chops anymore. <laughs> Definitely not. It's cake, and it's it's delicious. So go make some mystery. We'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining us for An Adventure in History. An Adventure in History is created and produced by the Clatsop County Historical Society and brought to you by KMUN.